Section three of Ruth of Boston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ruth of Boston A Story of the Massachusetts Bay Colony by James Otis. Section three An Indian Guest and Other Visitors. Both Susan and I had gazed about us eagerly when we went on shore, hoping to see a savage. We were not bent on meeting him near at hand, where he might do us a mischief, but had the desire that a brown man might go past us at a distance, and we were grievously disappointed at coming aboard the ship again without having seen one. Therefore it is that you can well fancy how surprised and delighted we were next morning when, going on deck just after breakfast, to have another look at this new town, whom should we see walking to and fro on the quarter-deck with Master Winthrop, as if he had been one of the first gentlemen of the land, but a real Indian? There were the feathers, of which we had heard, encircling his head and ending in a long train behind. His skin was brown, or, perhaps, more the color of dulled copper. He wore a mantle of fur, with the skin tanned soft as cloth, and that which father said was deer-hide, cunningly treated until it was like a flannel, had been fashioned into a garment, which answered into the stead of a doublet. I cannot describe his appearance better than by saying it would not have surprised me, had I been told that one of our own people had painted and dressed himself in this fanciful fashion, to take part in some revel. For truly— save in regard to the color of his skin he was not unlike the gentlemen who were on the ship as susan and i learned later he was the king or chief man among the indians who called themselves agawams father said he was the sagamore which as i understand it means that he was at the head of his people and his name was Mosconomo. a very kindly savage he was and in no wise bloodthirsty looking as i had expected he was a friend of Master Endicott, as well as of all those who lived with him in this town of Salem, and had come to welcome our people to the new world, which, as it seemed to both Susan and me, was very thoughtful in one who was nothing less than a heathen. The Indian Sagamore stayed on board the ship all day, and our company, together with the people of Salem, were as careful to make him welcome as if he had been King James himself. The reason for this, as father afterward explained to me, was because of its being of great importance that we make friends with the savages, else the time might come when they would set about taking our lives, being in far greater numbers than the white men. Neither Susan nor I could believe that there was any danger that these people with brown skins would ever want to do us harm. Surely they must be pleased, we thought, at knowing we were willing to live among them. And besides, if all the savages were as mild-looking as this Mosconomo, they would never be wicked enough to commit the awful crime of murder. In the evening after the Indian went ashore, the good people of Salem came on board in great numbers, and seeing that it was a time when he might do good to their souls, Master Winthrop gathered us on deck, where he talked in a godly strain not less than an hour and a half. It was indeed wicked of Susan, to say that she would have been better pleased had we been allowed to chat with the people concerning this new land, rather than listen to Master Winthrop, 
who, so Mother says, is a most gifted preacher, even though that is not his calling. Yet way down in the bottom of my heart I felt much as did Susan, although fortunately I was not tempted to give words to the thought. A CHRISTENING AND A DINNER When another day came, we girls had a most delightful time, for there was to be a baby, baptized in the house of logs where are held the meetings, and Mistress White, one of the gentlefolks who came here with the company of Master Higginson, was to give a dinner because of her young son's having lived to be christened. To both these festivals Susan and I were bidden, and it surprised me not a little to see so much of gaiety in this new world, where I had supposed every one went around in fear and trembling, lest the savages should come to take their lives. The christening was attended to first, as a matter of course, and because of his having so lately arrived from England, Master Winthrop was called upon to speak to the people, which he did at great length. Although the baby, in stiff dress and mittens of linen, with his cap of cotton wadded thickly with wool, must have been very uncomfortable on account of the heat, he made but little outcry during all this ceremony, and even when Master Higginson prayed a very long time. We were not above two hours in the meeting-house, and then went to the home of Mistress White, getting there just as she came down from the loft, with her young son in her arms. Mother quite shocked, because of the baby's having nothing in his hands, and while she is not given to placing undue weight in beliefs which savor on heathenism, declares that she never knew any good to come of taking a child up or down in the house, without having first placed silver or gold between his fingers. Of course, it is not so venturesome to bring a child downstairs empty-handed, but to take him back for the first time without something of value in his little fist, is the same as saying that he will never rise in the world to the gathering of wealth. The dinner was much enjoyed by both Susan and me, even though the baby, who seemed to be frightened because of seeing so many strange faces, cried a goodly part of the time. We had wild turkey roasted, and it was as pleasing a morsel as ever I put in my mouth. Then there was a huge pie of deer meat, with baked and fried fish in abundance, and lobster so large that there was not a trencher bowl on the board big enough to hold a whole one. We had whit-pot, yak-egg, secotash, and many other Indian dishes, the making of which shall be explained as soon as I have learned the methods. It was a most enjoyable feast, and the good people of Salem were so friendly, that when we went on board ship that night, Susan and I were emboldened to say to my father, that we should be rejoiced when the time arrived for our company to build houses. DECIDING UPON A HOME Then we learned for the first time that it had not been the plan for our people to settle in this pleasant place. It was not to the mind of Governor Winthrop, nor yet in accord with the belief of our people in England, that all of us who were to form what would be known as the Massachusetts Bay Colony should build our homes in one spot. Therefore it was that our people, meaning the elders among the men, set off through the forest to search for a spot where should be made a new town. And we children were allowed to roam around the village of Salem at will, many of us, among whom were Susan and I, often spending the night in the houses of those people who were so well off in this world's goods as to have more than one bed. 
Lady Arabella Johnson and her husband had gone on shore to live the second day after we arrived, for my lady was far from well when she left England, and the voyage across the ocean had not been of benefit to her. Our fathers were not absent above three days in the search for a place to make our homes, and then Sarah and I were told that it had been decided we should live at Charlestown where, as I have already told you, a year before our coming, Master Endicott had sent a company of fifty to build houses. It pleased me to know that we were not going directly into the wilderness, as both Susan and I had feared, but that we should be able to find shelter with the people who had already settled there, until our own houses could be built. It appeared that all the men of our company were not of Governor Winthrop's opinion, regarding the place for a home. Some of them, discontented with the town of Charles, went further afoot, deciding to settle on the banks of a river called the Mystic, while yet others crossed over that point of land opposite where we were to live, and found a pleasing place which they had already named Roxbury. A SAD LOSS Susan and I believed, on the night our fathers came back from their journey, that we would set off in the ship to this village of Charlestown without delay, and so we might have done but for my lady Arabella, who was taken suddenly worse of her sickness. Therefore it was decided to wait until she had gained her health. But alas, the poor lady had come to this new world only to die, and it was a sad time indeed for Susan and me, when the word was brought aboard ship that she had gone out from among us for ever. We had learned during the voyage to love her very dearly, and it seemed even more of a blow for God to take her from us in this wilderness than if she had been at her home in England. Although it is not right for me to say so, because, of course, our fathers know best, yet would my heart have been less sore if some word of farewell could have been said when we laid my Lady Arabella in the grave amid the thicket of fir-trees. Mother says that she is but repeating the words of Governor Winthrop, that it is wrong to say prayers over the dead, or to utter words of grief or faith. Therefore it was, in silence, we followed my lady in the coffin made by the ship's carpenter, up the gentle slope to the thicket of firs, the bell of the Arabella tolling all the while, and in silence we stood, while the body was being covered with earth little thinking how soon should we be doing a like service for another who had come to aid in building up a new nation. On the day after we left my Lady Arabella on the hillside, the ship Talbot, which was one of the vessels that should have sailed in company with the Arabella, arrived at Salem, and the grief which filled our hearts for the dead was lightened somewhat by the joy in greeting the living who were come to join us. REJOICING TURNED INTO MOURNING Governor Winthrop was among those who seemingly had most cause for rejoicing, because of his son Henry's having arrived on the Talbot, bringing news of his mother and of the remainder of the family. Good Master Winthrop had so much of business to look after on this day that he could not spend many moments in talking with his son, and mayhap he will never cease to regret that he did not give his first attention to the boy for during the afternoon, while his father was engaged with public affairs, Henry was moved by curiosity to visit some Indian wigwams, which could be seen a long distance along the coast. Not being of the mind to walk so far, 
he cast about for a boat of some kind, and seeing a canoe across the creek, plunged into the water to swim over that he might get it. Susan and I were watching the brave young man when he sprang so boldly and confidently into the water, never dreaming that harm might come to him. And yet, before he was one-quarter way across the creek, he suddenly flung up his arms with a stifled cry. Then he sank from our sight, to be seen no more alive. He had been seized with a cramp, while swimming, most like because of having gone into the cold water heated, so my father said for the day was very warm. But however that might be, eight and forty hours later we walked, a mournful procession, up the hill, even as we had done behind the earthly clay of Lady Arabella, while the bells of the ships in the harbour tolled most dismally. Verily Governor Winthrop's strength is in the Lord, as my mother said, for although his heart must have been near to bursting with grief, no one saw a sign of sorrow on his face, so set and stern, as he stood there listening to the clods of earth that were thrown upon the box in which lay the body of his son. Susan, who is overly given to superstition, I am afraid, declared that it was an ill omen for us to have two die, when we had but just come into the new country, and when I told her that it was wicked to place one's faith in signs, she reminded me that I found fault because of Mistress White's baby, being taken out of the room for the first time, with neither gold nor silver in his hands. End of section 3